And so for me, it was just a, a kind of a natural space of wanting to tap in and wanting um, other women who are still struggling um, with the residual effects of that to know and understand, to find healing. I talk a lot about finding peace uh, from that and recognize that you really can, you really can live a life beyond the abuse and live the life that you want. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. We have on the podcast today, Katherine Barner, who is a grief and trauma expert. She's also an award-winning author and a licensed psychotherapy. She has nearly 30 years of professional experience in the mental health field. And uh, we will be talking a lot today about all the different things she does and how she helps people in their trauma and the methods and the groups and the workshops and sessions and podcasts and you name it. <laughs> so welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kendra. I appreciate that introduction. Uh, um, it's good to be here with you. It's going to be a fun conversation. I love doing this. So oh, I, I love, so I love having, I'm so grateful that you're here and I'm grateful that I was contacted to have you. I'm always eager to learn about other people's journeys and stories, hence the reason I have the podcast. And so I'm happy you're here. So let's start at the beginning. Who is Catherine? Not, not Catherine with all these titles that I just introduced. Who is Catherine? Where does she live? Where was she born? And how oh did she end up in this role? I love it. Yes. So Catherine minus all those titles. You know, I tell folks when, when you strip it all away, and I think I say this on my website, after all of that, you know, I'm a wife, a mom, a recent granny, uh, which is the best what? thing ever. What? Yes. Yes. What? You started young. I'm telling you, I, the, <laughs> granny, and I absolutely love it. Uh, it's probably the, the title I love most right now. My kids are going to get me for saying that, but they'll be okay. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, love football, love traveling, love spending time with my family and friends. And, um, you know, at my core, that that's really who I am. Um, love, you know, love Jesus and talking about him and the Bible and all that. So um, that that's the core of who I am, was born and raised in Texas, a small town in Texas, and uh, went to school in Atlanta, uh, lived in, you know, a couple of other places for a while, and then finally settled here in Houston, which is where my husband and I uh, make our home now. And, um, you know, how I got into this work, it's, it's really interesting. After I graduated college, um, my mother said, get a job. I don't care where it is, just get a job. And so um, I think that was, you know, she had paid and she and my father had paid enough money for college. Mm. Thankfully, they did that. And I didn't have to take out any student loans. And she was like, listen, it is it's over is done. Um, so I started out, um, had a friend that worked at a local uh, mental health agency um, in the town next to ours. And uh, we've been friends for a while. And she's like, hey, they have a, a case manager position. And I didn't know what the heck that was. So you had studied psychology, you had studied psychology, had but you studied psychology. Uh -huh. um, you know, that was my undergrad. I got my undergraduate degree at Spelman College in Atlanta in psychology. Um, some of the best years of my life. And, you know, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with that. You know, of course, everybody's want to be in private practice, but there's a, obviously there's a process to that. So at the time, wasn't ready to go back to grad school just yet. So started working uh, at a mental health agency and fell in love with it. Uh, absolutely fell in love with 
um, mental health and at that time was working with um, chronically mentally ill patients and um, truly the sickest of the sick and I just absolutely loved it and so then my career you know from there just grew and um, went to different mental health agencies finally did move into private practice I've had experience in you know the county jail system the you know the state prison system nursing home schools and all that so that led me to where I am today uh, which is my passion uh, grief and trauma I, I absolutely love it uh, lots of people think I'm weird when I say that but um, that's uh, where I hang no, my hat no, and it's, no worries. Um, listen that's my, my podcast <laughs> being titled grief God. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. It's weird to say that. I love having conversations about these topics, but it's it's so true because it just brings us all also to the core of that of these commonalities that we have too, right? And grief being one that we will all or have all experienced in some shape or form. Exactly, exactly. And and what I tell people, it really is for me um, with with the grief and trauma. It really is about being in a space to to sit with people to to help people at a time when they are literally at their lowest and most of the time they've got nothing to give and so it really for me that that gives me life um being able to to be with folks in that moment and then helping them walk through that uh, as the process plays itself out uh you know helping them work through and understand what grief is is one thing i talk about a lot understanding what grief really is and grief is about loss you know and we we oftentimes only focus on grief as it relates to death but grief is about loss you know job loss and finances and children going away to college and you know things that oftentimes people don't don't recognize as grief um and so that's one of the reasons i enjoy it so much um so yeah that that's part of the work that i do and it's just it's just a really really it's a gift honestly um to to be able to, like I said, to sit with people during, during mm-hmm. those seasons. So it's, it's interesting because what you said, it's a gift. It is, it's like the, you are being fed as much, just as much as they are being fed per se, their soul, you know, it's because you are in your purpose, right. As you're doing Absolutely. that. So you Absolutely. feel like, even though somebody could feel they're burdening you quote unquote, because they're shedding all this to you for you, or you're like, no, I am, you are allowing me to be able to display my, the gifts I was given, my God-given gifts, and to be in this space is like a blessing, right? Because you're utilizing the tools you were given and some, of course, that you've owned, but some you were given. Absolutely. I I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, I I always say that, you know, that this work is definitely not uh, for everyone. It's, it's difficult work, but I always say it's necessary work. And you're, you're wholeheartedly correct in that there is a space of knowing when you are completely in your lane and in alignment with what your gift is, uh, what your assignment from God is, um, and, there's there's a feeling there that you can't quite describe when you're moving in that direction. Is it hard? Absolutely, um, but but it's necessary. And it again, it, it's the thing that that I love and I enjoy most. I am very curious to learn then who and how you were then as a child that then led you to then study psychology. Were you always one of those people that your friends would tell? everything to uh were you just the best listener ever or did you go into psychology because you had questions even about yourself that you're like i need to answer why is it that i am xyz like curious why did you go into that field that's a great question i actually I actually found my way to psychology, you know, growing, I was the one who, you know, I did, you know, listen to, to friends and that sort of thing. And, um, but I actually entered college wanting to be a civil engineer. I wanted to build bridges and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But in somewhere in there, it shifted to, you know, everyone says, oh, I want to help people. That's kind of the standard line, but, but it did shift to really wanting to understand, um, the how and why behind 
the way people behave, the way they do, and more importantly, the way we respond um, and how to help us move from that. Had had experienced some trauma in my own life as a teenager, um, and and I I was I won't say I was struggling to understand it, but but I could see that there was a connection. Um, it wasn't until later that I, I got to a place of seeing that there were so many other people who had experienced the same thing that I did, you know, coming through my practice that that kind of led to the specific trauma work with, with a, a childhood adult, child, childhood survivors of sexual abuse. Um, but yeah, it really just came out of that space sitting in a psychology class that I had to take, uh, you know, for credit. And I was like, wait a minute, well, this is kind of cool. Um, and that started the fire. And then from there, it just, it just kept going. And like I said, once I graduated and, and got that first job, it was like, this is the best thing ever. That I love it. I love it. Thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah. I'm I just, it's always curious whether people just land on, you know, it just kind of lands on your, your lap kind of thing. Or, um, or like you said, like how it is that you get to that journey, the, the part of then, uh, it's childhood sort of say the title again childhood survivor no survivors of childhood abuse right so I so I work specifically with um, african-american women uh, adult women survivors of childhood sexual abuse and and, and I say african-american women because some people say well do you only work with african-american women obviously if someone comes to me who's not I don't turn them away but but that is my target and I say that because the unfortunate truth is that, first of all, we don't talk about that at all uh, across the board, but even more so um, in our culturally, in our communities, we don't talk about it. And, and I know just from my own experience and in looking for and trying to find providers that look like me um, and, and finally accessing services, being in a space where I was the only one at conf or one of only a few at conferences or workshops and those sorts of things. And, but I know that I'm not the only one who's had the experience. And so for me, it was just a, a kind of a natural space of wanting to tap in and wanting, um, other women who are still struggling, um, with the residual effects of that to know and understand, to find healing. I talk a lot about finding peace, uh, from that and recognize that you really can, you really can live a life beyond the abuse and live the life that you want. Um, and so that I absolutely love that. That is my passion. That's the trauma side uh, of, of the house, I'll say. Um, and the work that I do there uh, through Sister Speak Up Society, it, it, that is a, uh, it's a membership community. And that's really what we're trying to do is build community of women so that they know I am not the only one. I'm not by myself come out of the darkness, you know, get rid of the shame, because that's what keeps us bound. That's what keeps us dealing with those, like I said, the trauma and those residual effects when we walk around and we don't say anything. Um, but healing really is found in the light. And so it's helping women understand that and creating that that community. And so we, we do some work. We have a private Facebook group. Um, we're planning on doing some quarterly meet and greets um, having some additional training. I do some teachings on topics specific to sexual abuse, but we also do some things that have nothing to do with that because the reality is there's a whole other part of your life. You know, we're business owners and teachers and moms and wives and all the things. So, you know, we're going to have someone come in and talk about trademarking your business. If you're an entrepreneur or trademark, whatever your, um, you know, your specific thing is and how that impacts you. So, which has nothing to do with sexual abuse, but as as a woman who's in business, that's something that you that someone would be interested in. So we're trying to do that. I will be looking at doing some conferences and retreats and those sorts of things uh, um, as the year progresses. But it's exciting. Um, like I said, it's it's difficult work, but it's it's necessary work, and and I, I wholeheartedly enjoy it. And it's so empowering, right, to empower someone else and to know again, because in that in that journey, that's what you're doing. You're not only just listening, but you're creating a space of empowerment. Absolutely. And especially in a culture in which a lot of it, right, has been this empowerment. Yeah. And especially in the African-American community it, for so many years, I was going to ask about that in terms of generational trauma also carrying through. If you, if you want to talk about that, if you noticed that within uh, the people that you talk to. Absolutely. And, and it comes from a space of culturally, you know, 
the vast majority of us um, came from a place where what happens in this house stays in this house. <laughs> you know, you, you don't talk about what happens outside the house. Um, also, when we layer on top of that, um, our beliefs as far as Christianity, um, we, you know, you pray about it and that's it. And that's wonderful. And I obviously, I, I that is where I hang my hat and, and I land there. However, there is prayer plus um, as well. And, and I often, I, I liken it to, I'm going to talk about this when I'm talking about mental health as well. I liken it to, if I come to, to my church family and, and I say that, that I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. Okay. We're most definitely going to pray. But in addition to that, I live in Houston. We're going to make a beeline to MD Anderson as well. And we're going to talk to an oncologist. So it's that same thing that, that I try to help people understand is that when you're dealing with trauma, when you're talking specifically about childhood sexual abuse and just the litany of things that fall out from that for survivors, yes, we are most definitely going to pray about it, but we're going to do some other things as well to come alongside to help, uh, to help that healing happen. Um, and so for me, you talk about the word, you said empower, empowering, and, and that's exactly what it is. Because for me, it's about, it's recognizing that for me, um, I know that there are women who went through similar situations, some situations that were very, very different. Our specific story may be different, but I, for whatever, I won't say for whatever reason, I know the reason, by the grace of God, I didn't have those significant, what we may term maladaptive behaviors in, in the field is what we call them. But what they really are is coping styles. And what I say is mm -hmm. just trying to figure out how to live. So difficult relationships, drug abuse, you know, prostitution, all of those things that are a real fallout from childhood sexual abuse, when you're just trying to cope and figure out what the heck happened to me and how to live. I know that there are women who have had that experience. And I also know that there are women who've never said a word to anybody about what happened to them. And they're living that, that internal turmoil of how to process that. And so mm -hmm. on the outside, and I say this a lot, you know, particularly in our, you know, our social media community where every, you know, we can make things look like we want on social media. Oh, yeah. you, know, you, you know, you take 17 pictures to get the perfect one to post on Instagram. And then you add a filter on top and, of that and a background. And um, a exactly. change. You could be in Hawaii if you want in that picture. Exactly. But, and so we do that. And so you have women who are on the outside. They look the part and, you know, they've got the bag and the giant, all the things on the outside. But on the inside, they're literally dying because they've never spoken of and dealt with the trauma that they experienced in childhood. And so it's coming out in other ways. Uh, and so... Again, that that's the passion that I have comes from that place um, and comes from knowing what I experienced um, and how I moved through that process um, and knowing that there are still women out there who, who are suffering and wanting to get them to a place where I they can live. This is one of the things I say, they can live the life that they both desire and deserve. Mm -hmm. So living the life you desire and deserve. That's so important, the part of deserving, because that part of worthiness is something we struggle with a lot. I mean, I struggle with, we, I don't, I think pretty much everyone at some point or shape or form in their life has, you know, not feel worthy of, and that the word deserving is one of those that I don't really deserve yeah. good to me. You actually, you know, you end up it, like, if something bad happens, it's like you did something, well, you deserve that. You know, exactly. wasn't that like when you would, if like by chance you did something, wrong as a kid and something happened well that's what you deserved you know <laughs> exactly yeah that, that's what you get for doing it that's so like yeah. exactly and, and we are quick to do that um when negative things happen but we're mm -hmm. not so quick to say that i deserve you know the positive i deserve to have to live a life and be at peace i deserve to, mm -hmm. to be in a relationship that's healthy and whole i deserve you know not to this example i use all the time you know not to jump every time my husband may touch me on my left shoulder because i never told him that that's that a trigger were, for me yeah. and so mm -hmm. we have this 
you know, we have these things going on in our, in our marriage because he can't figure out what the heck is going on. I deserve not to have to deal with that. So, so, so many things that, again, like I said, that are a fallout, and which is why I, I am so passionate about working with and talking with women. So I, yeah, I can talk about that Thank for you. days. No, and I actually, let's go into that because you were talking even just about your own, the tools even that helped you. Could you share some of these tools that you feel um, are aside, of course, from someone seeking counseling, Mm -hmm. what are some of the tools that people can use to then, or or even in the modalities of counseling, Mm -hmm. you could go deeper into that, Mm -hmm. to start peeling away this onion of the trauma to really get to the core of the other the trauma to that yeah it, right <laughs> yeah I, I think that you know i'm always going to say therapy 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 <laughs> because well that, absolutely because if, especially if it's if it's what you, the field you're in if it's also the field that helped you it's going to be yeah. it but within it there's a whole different absolute modalities as well so you can talk about that aspect yeah so so there are a couple of things and one of them one of the things that we talk about is um understanding how trauma impacts your brain particularly when we're talking about children but but just in general and how as children when trauma impacts you because think about as a child it is the responsibility of the adults in the room to protect me just by definition. So when that then doesn't happen, as a child, I don't have the the, the intellectual capacity to understand, well, well, what was that? So when we start talking about coping styles and learning to survive and what do I do to stay safe and what that means, I, I what I learned then follows me throughout my lifetime. And so there's a whole lot of scientific stuff when we talk about how you know, the pathways in our brain, those neural pathways in our brain are set. And that's how we begin to respond. We talk about the whole fight, flight, or freeze. Um, That's where those things start to happen. And so part of it is understanding how does trauma impact my brain, which helps when we're talking about women, which helps women look back and go, oh, this is why I do this. This is why I respond this way. This is why this is a trigger. So part of it is having a clear understanding of how does trauma impact your brain. There's a phenomenal book that I recommend. It's called uh, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. I think everybody that's that teaches trauma refers to that one. It's an amazing one. Um, I really like it a lot. It's a hard read, but it's a good read. Um, but also, as far as modalities, one, one that I like a lot, uh, particularly when you're talking about individuals who are having significant um, distress still in trauma is EMDR. Um, it That stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's a mouthful, which is why we use the letters. Uh, and then so, it use like a, do you, yeah. you hold something as you're doing it too, right? As you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, so you can, so, so there, it's, it's called bilateral stimulate, stimulation. And so you can do it with holding things. Sometimes we do it with tapping. Um, and so really, the, the really, really scaled down version is helping an individual recall um, a specific incident, just a portion of the trauma, not the whole piece, um, but just a portion that's causing them distress. And then you work with that to bring down that distress level. Um, so that is very impactful for clients. Um, and then just some, some what we call I call just kind of everyday things. Journaling is phenomenal for lots of women. Just being able to get it out um, of your head and your heart. Um, Because oftentimes when we're talking about uh, trauma that has happened a lot in, in dealing with the shame and trying to get rid of that, a lot of times it's just telling the story to yourself. Um, so oftentimes we hear about sharing your story, sharing your story. And oftentimes it's, I just need to share the story with me. Because many times women will will say that this thing happened to me, but they're not specific in what in all of the of what that was and what that meant. So it's being able to get that out for themselves. So journaling is phenomenal. Music, exercise, you know, all of those things to get your body moving um, are are positive things that you can do. Um, just on a on a on a lower level scale, I call it, um, for folks who, who may not be into therapy and that's perfectly fine. Um, obviously faith is a huge one and that's a huge one for me. Um, your faith community, um, praying, um, meditating, 
all of those types of things um, or things that, that individuals can use to help them be, either begin to move through their trauma um, if they're not ready to really enter therapy or it's just a, a, an ongoing part of their healing process or things that they do that keep them, that keep them grounded, that keep them um, in an even keel. And speaking of grounding, that's another technique that's used. Um, it's really just about uh, when individuals feel like they're being, tr- or when they are being triggered, a simple one we call is a five, four, three, two, one, where you, you're just getting in touch with each of your senses. So what are five things that I can touch? What are three things that I, four things I can see and going all the way down three things that I can hear one thing I can smell, you know, or two things I can smell one thing I can taste. Um, and so it helps to bring the, bring you back to what I call center to get you back in the moment and come back from wherever the triggers have taken you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- those are a few things that um, that are available to folks that, that work. Um, and then like I said, there's a lot, a lot of deep work that individuals can do just depending on where they are in their healing process. That is so important. Now, let me ask you regarding that, com- that um, the aspect of someone feeling that therapy is something they're going to go to because a lot of times again back again to either what you grew up believing or doing uh, you don't tell anybody like you said it stays in the house so what do you mean you're now going to suddenly go and tell all your things to someone so the component of even taking that step like how, how do you how do you transition from someone that's really needing it but then that they then take that step to actually seek for therapy and also finding the right therapist for them, which is an important process too. Yeah, that's a great question. And as far as finding a therapist, I think it's so important when you're talking, when you're talking about grief, when you're talking about trauma or whatever it may be that you're going to therapy for, I think it's so important to, but trauma specifically, is to make sure that you are working with a therapist who is trauma informed, meaning they have been trained to work with individuals who have experienced trauma, meaning they understand the brain body connection and why we respond the way we do and triggers and all those things. Um, And so what I tell folks is don't be afraid to ask your therapist, have you worked with these types of issues? Can you share with me some of the modalities that you use? Those kinds of conversations on the very, on the call to set the appointment. Those are fair questions to ask a therapist. So as far as accessing resources and finding a therapist, there are several websites. There's Psychology Today. They have a therapy finder on their website. Um, going through uh, the American Psychology, Psychology Association. Um, there's Therapy for Black Girls, Therapy for Black Boys. Um, so there are a lot of resources online, but also what I tell folks also is going through their insurance, through the private insurance. Um, most, if not all, have what's called an EAP program. That stands for Employee Assistance Program. And so those offer free sessions. And so most individuals will have anywhere from three, maybe up to six free sessions that's paid by their employer. And so all you do is you call your human resources department and say, hey, who's our EAP provider? You don't have to tell them why you're called, what you just want to know who's our EAP provider. They're going to let you know, give you a phone number. You call that company and let them know you're looking for a counselor and they'll walk you through the process. Um, So I always tell folks to use that because it's free. Um, You use those sessions like you need to. And then if you still need services beyond that, then they can always talk you through, that therapist can talk you through um, getting to someone that you can build your insurance or if you're willing and wanting to do private pay, then then you can stay with the person that you have there. So that's always a great resource for folks as well as for finding a therapist. That's so important. The the part that it's already covered in some cases by your employer or that your insurance provides a few sessions for free, that is huge because that also gives a person a possibility of checking it out so that they see if it's the right fit because somebody's not willing to invest or especially if you're deductible only, you know, like things like that. Like if you after, if you don't have a high, you know, whatever it is that you have to start paying right away, if you don't really know how it's going to serve you and shift your life in ways that you could not even fathom. And your li- and it is an investment in your life. It's not, this is not just something you're just like throwing money out. No, this is gonna shift and change your life. 
So, right? Why not see if it's a possibility? I love the way that you put that, that it, that is, it is an investment in your life. That is so good. And you're right. It will literally change the trajectory of your life. But this is what I tell folks, that, that therapy, you have to be willing to do the work. Um, because therapy is work, no matter what you go in for. And understand that as the therapist, I'm not doing the vast majority of the work you're doing the work as a client. And so sometimes people come in and like, well, well, I want you to fix me. It's like, well, no, that's not exactly how it works, <laughs> but you have to be willing to do the work and be open. But I love, love, love the way you put that. It's an investment in yourself. And again, that goes for, for whatever the issue may be, whether it's, whether it's trauma, whether it's on the grief side of the house, um, you have to be willing to do that. And what I tell folks is understand that going in that initial, initial session is going to be uncomfortable because you're right. It's, it's not natural to, to walk into someone's office that you've literally never met and begin to talk to them about really difficult situations and really difficult seasons in your life. And so there has to be a level of trust and level of rapport that's built with a therapist. Um, and it's okay to communicate that. And so I tell individuals when they're start, first starting therapy, give it at least, at least two possibly three sessions before you say this isn't going to work because there has to be that, that time to build up the rapport and be willing to actually engage with a therapist and do the work that they're that they're providing you you know and the 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 aspect that it's a safe space this person's not here to judge you at all they're here to guide you it's not so different than in dynamics in our friendships in which we may not end up sharing with our family or friends because we're afraid to lose their love or lose their friendship, quote unquote. Yes, that's like a great point. People sometimes swallow all these things because they're the shame and guilt and so forth. They don't end up wanting to say it because then someone may look at them differently. Uh, right. So here's someone you have. They have nothing. You yes. got no attachment to your outcome other than the fact that they really do want you to do best right so exactly that, that's an excellent point you know they're, they're only vested to the to the degree that they want you to accomplish whatever goals you come in and say hey this is what i want to work on this is where i want to get that's where they're vested they they're not concerned you know they're really not going to dinner talking about what you shared with them with their friend that's yeah. not what we do because we can't right. uh, you know so but and so you're right it is a, a place that you can go and just let it all hang out because it can't leave the room mm -hmm. legally it can't leave the room you know, right. and so it's kind of one of those, you just go and throw it all on the wall and tell your therapist, look, this is what I've got today. <laughs> and, and that's really okay. So I, yeah. I love you bring, bringing that point out. It is yeah. a safe space. It is a safe space. And when we were talking about investing and sometimes we may not be thinking that we're worth the investment for ourselves, but if we think of it as not only that shifting the trajectory of our life is an important, but that, that is important and not only for us, but for the generations that come, because how we're going to interact with our children will also shift. How we're going to interact with our spouses or whatever is going to shift. So if, if by chance we're in a space that we don't feel we, de we deserve mm -hmm. to invest that in us, then think of it as an investment for you know, and, and this is not just, I'm not talking about just finances. This is an aspect oh, of yeah. time. It's a time, time. It's a part of time and the work that it takes that you said that is sometimes harder of investment than actually just paying, right? The part that you, <laughs> so. Absolutely. That you, yeah, you actually have to, you know, because you actually have to do the homework that the therapist gave you. But I love that point. You're right. Of of how it does, it changes you. The, the goal is for it to change you, not all those other people that, because most of the time you go into therapy and you're like, so I want you to change my husband, my children, all these other folks. Mm -hmm. But it's really about you making changes. And so then the system around you does begin yes, to change and, and does begin to shift. So you make an excellent point. It is about helping to change the trajectory. You mentioned earlier, you were talking about those generational things and those patterns of being silent and holding on to that shame and not talking about things, how that does mm. impact generations um, down the line and how unhealthy it is because what you then rely on is those unhealthy coping skills that have been passed down versus learning new and healthy coping skills that are going to open up 
your life again and shift you in a way that you didn't even know was possible. So mm-hmm. being open to doing that is, is, is half the battle in and of itself, being willing to do it. And yeah, I, that's the part, yeah. the willing. The yeah. willing is probably the, the hardest. That's the hardest it. And then it. actually doing it is the other half. Yeah, yeah, no, Absolutely. that is. Because nobody's going to drive. Somebody could drive you to an appointment, but <laughs> that will make a difference if you're not really ready there to to deal with it now let's let's go into your book okay because of the trauma so you are you specialize in grief and in trauma Mm -hmm. and is it the grief that comes from trauma or all types of grief and then and then afterwards i'll ask you about the book that's first you could clarify that yeah that is an excellent question. So it is it is all types of grief. Um, and what I say is that grief is about loss. So actually it's yes. about all types of loss. Um, there There is a component, I'm glad you bring that up. There is a component of grief to the trauma that we work with when we're talking about uh, survivors of, of, sexual, of childhood sexual abuse. There is a portion of grief there. And so we do touch on that on that side of the house, but in j- the book and the work that I do there is grief across the board. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and I love that you're saying how it, it really is about loss. And it's about any uh, transition in life it, that creates, because in almost, um, like I talk about even grieving when I became a mom, for example, because it was this big shift in my life that occurred in that moment. And it was this loss of identity to some extent. Of yes. Like, Wait, where am I when now yes. in this new role? Uh, right. And like kind of trying to find the parts of me that I could still kind of recognize and maybe and grieving a little bit, the parts that I had lost of a little bit of the freedom sleeping through the night. And it was such a happy time too, right? It's like, yeah. so it's not only associated with sad moments, it can be that, associated with happy moments in life that, that you still can such- grieve. That is such an excellent point. I'm so glad you bring that up because so many people, I was talking to someone just the other day who's who's really, really dealing with a lot of grief because their their child is about to head off to college. And and this this is a male, by the way. And so, you know, generally men really don't communicate these things but he was talking to me he's like I, I i literally can't get it together he said my son is packing and i can't go by the room because i just start crying and i help people understand that and most of the times when i hear that too about kids going out to college it's usually the moms that say that and they're like i don't know what's wrong with me i should be happy i really do want them to go i'm happy for them and i'm like hold on when you think about when you break this down you're talking about a person who's lived in your house for the past 18 years that you've been responsible for caring for. And now all of a sudden they're like, so, Hey, I'm out of here. Like (laughs) that's, that's not supposed to feel completely good. Yes. You're happy for them. You want them to have a great, Mm -hmm. but, but there is a part that grieves their physical presence being there with you. And so there are these, these positive things that happen in our lives when we do experience that that feeling of loss. And so then there's the process of grief that happens. I dealt with a, an individual uh, years ago. Um, he was in the military his entire career. He was preparing to retire, was happy about retiring, wanted to retire, had all the plans. His wife, he and his wife had made about where they were going to go, what they were going to do. So he retires, has this great party, and a month later he comes to see me and he's he was miserable. He said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I can't get it together. What is happening? And so we talked about huge. That's your, a huge yes. right there. He's grieving you, the life he had that exactly. his job was part of his life, huge part of his life. Yeah. And what you said that his identity was wrapped into that. And so now it was, well, wait a minute. Who am I? Like, what do I do? Yes, I was looking forward to just sitting by the lake and fishing, but wait a minute, what what do I do? Like, can I literally, can I really fish every day? I don't want to fish every day. So those types of things, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, that yeah. that happened. Um, and then of course uh, the the difficult seasons that we go through. You know, the death and the job loss and you know, the finances and the relationships and, you know, health challenges and all of those things um, that can bring about the process of loss. And so, um, you know, I wrote the book. Um, yeah, let's say the name. Let's say the name. So, yes. God, so God Help t- Me, I'm Grieving. Yes. So the title of the book is God Help Me, I'm Grieving, Finding Healing After Loss. Um, and it, I'll tell you, I actually wrote this book um 
after my mother passed away, my mom passed away um, in 2011. Um, and my mother was my everything. There's really no other way to describe it. She was my everything. She was my biggest cheerleader. I mean, she was my girl. And, you know, we were extremely close. And when she passed away, I went through a period where I, I just did not know what to do. And I got to a place where I was like, now, wait a minute. If, if I know all the things that I know about mental health and grief and trauma and all the work that I had done at that point had done for, you know, almost 20 years at that point, if I know everything that I know about this and I am struggling the way that I'm struggling, what in the world is everybody else doing? And so that's really where the book came from. And I really just wanted to write it as a way to, yes, to help people under, to understand grief, to understand the process of grief, and really to give them permission to grieve in whatever way they need it to, and to, to really start to pay attention to what their grief style is. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a easy, it's not really heady. It's, there's not a lot of psychological stuff in there. I, I wasn't trying to do that. We do talk about, you know, what we, what oftentimes people term the stages of grief. I refer to them as waves because that's what they are. Mm -hmm. um, there's not a one, two, three, four, five steps and then you get Agreed. over it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it's a it's a book that that's helped a lot of people. It's really interesting. I, I get text messages and emails from folks who grabbed it and read it because you can you can probably do it in you know one or two days. Um, but again, and it's one that you can pick up and put down and come back to it later and pick up a portion of it. Um, but really is. Um, one that I'm proud of. And like I said, it was really born out of my own struggle um, and trying to find a way to go. Like, like I said, what is everybody else doing? Who folks who don't know all the stuff that I know to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, um, I, I, that it was, it was a grueling process. I'll say that, but, um, but glad that I did it. Oh, and I was I was looking at the website here. And by the way, where do people can order it on the website, but yes. also is it available on other? Um, yes. So spaces? you can find it. Yes, you can always you can find it on my website at katherinebarner.org. But yes, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, anywhere fine books are sold. Um, okay. You so can, yeah, you can find it. Your website will be at the in the show notes, and so people can go there, and then they can do it there. And as as again, it's God help me, I'm grieving, yeah. uh, finding healing after loss. I want to read a couple of these little things you've got, little bits of the book that you have sure. on your website, and then we can talk about it. So you, your grief is valid. No one gets to tell you it isn't, and no one gets to tell you how or for how long you should grieve. So let's talk about that part of the uniqueness of grief and again, validating someone's grief. Yeah. So, so it's this idea that, um, you know, if, if you cry longer than two weeks, you know, or if you're struggling longer than a month, then, then there's something you need wrong to be medicated. You. You, need yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, need, you need to be medicated. You need to be hospitalized. Something's wrong yeah. with you. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, for oftentimes, you know, for men, if you're not crying and if you go back to work, you know, the day after the funeral, then you also need to be, uh, you they need to also be need to be yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's that. So it, yeah. it's, it's, it's that I, you use the word it, uniqueness of, of, you know, understanding that. Cause this is the thing I say, I talk about the three P's of grief. Grief, grief is personal. Grief is a process and grief is perfectly normal. And so part of it, it's that personal piece that, Every one of us is going to grieve very, very differently. And I'll share this. This is a story I, I share in the book uh, and my, my, of my husband. He hates when I do this, but it's the absolute truth. He will say it's not, but this is a true story. Um, so our fathers passed away in 2009, almost two months to the day from each other. Oh, His father passed away in, in April. My father passed away in June. Um, well, obviously, Father's Day is in June. So my dad passed away. I want to want to say it was June seventh. So of course, you know, have funeral, all the things. Well, Father's Day rolls around. Well, needless to say, I was still struggling a bit at that point. And my husband and I will say this: my husband is a psychologist. So hear this. Oh, okay. um, so you know, I, I'm still emoting about the fact that my father has died, and my father and I had a difficult relationship. So there was all that layered on top of it. 
So he says to me one day as we're laying on the sofa, I'm in his lap crying. He says to me, it's been two weeks. You should be better by now. Now, hear me when I say. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we are still married today. He is still my currently my husband, and he was my so I did not like you know hide him in the bushes somewhere. He was just saying what is like yeah. also what some of us just say because we also are so uncomfortable with seeing someone go Bingo. through pain and we don't know how to deal with it that it really it's a reflection of ourselves of oh my gosh what do I do with all these emotions Bingo. she's putting out there? <laughs> and that's and that's why I use that I put that in the book. He was like you are not going to put that in the book. I was like oh I'm putting it in the book. But but you're absolutely right. It was and that's when I you know when I'm teaching I tell folks something bless his heart. Let's <laughs> exactly. And I tell people like he wasn't trying to send me into orbit although that's what happened happened when he said it. And you're absolutely right. It came from that place of my wife is hurting, my wife is crying, and I can't fix it. So what do I, what, I don't know what to do. Um, and you're right, because none of us like to see people hurt. None of us want to see people, cry. we want them to stop because you're right, it does make us uncomfortable. And so it's so important for, for the one who's grieving to understand and to know that your grief is normal and that your grief is personal. So when people say things to you like that, you don't then take on, well, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't still be crying. Maybe I mm -hmm. should be okay. Maybe there's something is wrong with me. So it, it, that's why I use that example. And I, I love, you know, that you brought up that quote, because it's so important to understand how you grieve and understand that that grief is normal, given whatever you've been through. It is normal. It is okay. It is a process. Yes. You're going to get through it. But for wherever you are in the space right now, it is okay. Yes. And in, you know, the other thing too, you've, you've experienced the death of your dad and your mom two years mm -hmm. apart. Mm -hmm. uh, to also not have this expectation, like you said before, you had all these tools, you already had, and you still struggled. Now, the other added thing, you had already experienced the grief of the death of your dad, yet mm -hmm. you're adding another one not to also think that you were going to grieve the same way that you grieved the loss of another person. So don't and having the this grace with yourself in that process of knowing that I okay, this is odd. Why is it that I'm not handling this right now the same way I did this other thing? I should yes. have grown through that. I just went how do I not No, you're not going to grieve the same. That, that is an excellent point. And that, that grace point that you bring up is so true. Because I say this all the time to folks. Give yourself the grace and the space to grieve the way that you need to. And you're right. I'll give, I'll share another example. You're right. My, my parents passed away right about two and a half years apart. And I was, I could not get it together after my, it, it took me about a year just to figure out that the world was still spinning after my mom passed away. I was still going through the motions, but emotionally, I, it, it took a while. And so I'll share this because this actually just happened. Um, my uncle, um, who's my mom's brother, uh, passed away last year. It was a year on Monday, on Tuesday, rather, that he passed away. And I, he was, I always say he, he was a, more of a father to me than an uncle. I called him uncle, but he was so much more than that. When he passed away, the grief that I experienced and the, the sense of loss that I, that hit me last year when he passed away, when it sent me into a, a tailspin that looked nothing like when my father passed away. And so what I talk to people about is the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how of your loss. Who was it that passed away? Okay, well, it, in name, it was my uncle. Okay, but when you talk about the relationship, uh, the title and then, but in the relationship, relationally, he was more of a father than an uncle. So that looked very different. So I tell people that oftentimes, you think about when friends pass away or a cousin or, you know, a, a grandmother that, a you know, pet. A, a pet. pet. A pet. A Absolutely. Pet. I have some I'm gonna be interviewing somebody on that is a grief coach for people with pet loss because that's one that people do not comprehend how someone can be so sad over the companion that you've had 
the closest to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it and it, it boils down to loss and yes. what what was that relationship mm-hmm. relationally? What was that like for you? Um, and so so those are some examples that I give. Again, I, I appreciate you bringing up that quote and and that was a really long answer to your question. But yeah, this again, I, I can talk about I this all day it. too. Yeah, love it, and I love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much. Let me say one more from here, and then let's see. Um, Okay, I'm gonna say the last one. Okay. Especially since you're since you are it's it, since the book it's called God Help Me I'm Breathing. Mm-hmm. It's faith based. Let's go with this last one. God okay. never disqualified anyone for expressing his or her her grief. And you are no different. Your emotional response to your loss does not disqualify you as his child. Let's go into that part. So the part of do people feel somehow guilty in terms of are they struggling where they when they grieve is it because they feel a sense of guilt that they're struggling with their sense of their faith of what is to come of their knowing that let's say everything i learned spiritually per se you might be struggling with that in that moment Mm -hmm. of like okay i know what happens whatever people's beliefs are as they're Mm -hmm. listening to this whatever beliefs you have as you're carrying through if in that moment of grieving, your faith is challenged in some way in your grief, yeah, is that is that kind of what that quote is from? Exactly, it's this idea that you know, again, going back to if 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 I cry too long, if I emote, if I'm angry, you know, if if I have a question about why this happened the way it happened, if I question God or whatever that may be, then some I, I shouldn't do that because because i do believe in 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 like you said him or whatever your belief system is and so if i believe that i shouldn't have these questions if i believe that i shouldn't feel this way or i certainly shouldn't feel this way very long because it's going to be better and they're in a better place and all the things that people say which is very very inconsistent because the reality is we were created with emotions and Mm -hmm. and our faith doesn't negate that we have those emotions. Our, and because we have these those emotions, that doesn't take away from the fact that I still believe, but I'm hurting. Yes. I still believe, but I have a question. I, mm-hmm. I, I do want to know why. I, I know that there may not be an actual answer, but in the moment, I have a question. You know, in the moment, I am I am hurting emotionally, and it's okay for me to communicate that. Um, and so, oftentimes, when I'm working, particularly with, with individuals, um, you know, in the faith community, it's helping them understand that you don't have to close off that part of you. You don't have to pretend that you're okay. You're hurting, and that's all right. You're not going to hurt always, but in this moment you are. And that doesn't negate that you still believe, that you still love God, that you still have a relationship, That you, but you're hurting. So so there's a whole chapter in the book. It's called The Faith Factor um, to help people move through that. And so in there, what I, I just, I walk through scripture and, and give examples of individuals who were grieving. Um, and, you know, the point is, if and I when I use all the time, you know, particularly for Christians is, you know, there's there's one scripture, Jesus wept, you know, two words. And my point is, if he wept, well, why, why do you think you shouldn't? So again, that, that's the that's that's where that quote comes from out of the book. And, and that's a, that's a whole lesson in and of itself just to help. And again, the book is really about helping people shed some of that weight and that guilt of and those shoulds and those oughts and all of those absolutes when it comes to grief, because there there aren't any. Yes, there aren't any. There's not a specific roadmap for anybody. That's that's why I think that these conversations are so important. And that's why I think that we've been so judgmental of our own grief is because somehow we think that we have to grieve a certain way or be over it or that time heals and that therefore we should be okay after a certain number of time, after the two weeks. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, um, you know, all these misconceptions that we have that therefore add to that guilt component 
of our grief. We start judging ourselves in our grief and that is just not absolutely not which okay. only compounds it and, and oh, yeah. prolongs it and, and makes it, it and I'm sure that in that process then going to that book that you recommended of the body keeps a score uh, if, if, if I haven't read it, but even just going with how much even just storing our emotions and not sharing them aside from trauma, how that affects us in so many other ways also in our health. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. And, and again, you know, it, and I think people understanding that we really do hold those things in our body and, and it can, and just what you said, impact us physically uh, when we don't process through that in healthy ways. Um, so it is, it is so important to, to understand it, but then do the work to help process and move through it, but also move through it in your own time, in your own space, in those moments where you, where you do have hiccups, when you do, you know, feel like you're, you're going backwards. Because I say it takes at least a year, um, I call it the year of first, it takes at least a year to get through all the first when you're dealing with any loss, particularly. And those are the first, those are some first, because there's also going to be the first of, for example, the, the part of if somebody had a parent that died before they even there got go. married. Yes. If, some, if your parent died before you became a parent, if your parent died before you got married, if your parent, there's going to be a whole bunch of firsts that are going to exactly. come 20, 30 years down the road. So that first year of first may be the first birthday, the first anniversary, mm -hmm. the first Mother's Day, the first holiday. But got, yeah, but we got some and more coming. Other ones, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, you're so right. I love it. Yeah, and it's understanding that that the that the grief that it's going to come in stages, and so you'll get to a point where you're doing well, and and you have healed that point, but that spot. But to your point, you know, when I get married, and I remember that my dad's not here, my mom's not here for this wedding, and how painful. So that may send me back, and I'll need to process through that. Um, when I have the kid and mom's not here, that and I'll have to process the grandchild. Absolutely you, right, grandchild. Yeah, you became a grandmother after your parents had passed. Yes. So the fact that it's like, wait, I'm now in the role that my parents had for my children. Yeah, that's. I mean, I get chills just thinking of that, of how the emotional that could be. Of like, I am now, I am now the grandma. Yeah, when the grandma. You know, it's. You're you're absolutely right. And it's so funny you bring that up. I literally, when my daughter and son-in-law told me they were pregnant, literally my first thought went to my mother because in part was because my mother, I was exceedingly close to my mom, but I was also really close to my grandmother. My daughter was tied at the hip to her, to my mom, her granny. So, so my thoughts immediately went to my mother would be through the roof if she were here to know that her granddaughter was having a baby. And so you do, you have those moments. And it's, it's so funny. I'll share this real quick. I was actually in the hospital when they told me. And so they're taking, you know, they come in and they get ready to take me down for a CAT scan. So I'm in there and I'm crying. Your feet. Your feet. Your feet. Yeah. yeah, it was all good. It was all good, but it's, it's funny story. They, they call, they tell me, we go through all this. And so, you know, I start crying. So they come and get me. I need to go down for a CAT scan or something. And so the young lady's pushing me. She gets ready to put me on the table and I, I can't get it together. Well, she's thinking that, you know, I'm afraid or whatever the case may be. And she's like, are you okay, Miss Barnard? I'm going to be a grandmother. <laughs> just, yeah. But so you're, so you're right to that point. But my thoughts just, they, they went straight to my mom in that uh, moment. And, you know, and that's the thing you would never know when you're meeting someone uh where they are in their in their life what you know what what moment what wave has hit them in that moment yes. um and and we don't know when the waves are going to hit either so uh, yes that wave hits you right in the middle of a cat scan so. <laughs> that, yes hilarious. now Catherine, would you please say anything else to share with the audience that i have maybe not asked that you're like there's school i i really cannot hang up you know, this interview without saying these words of wisdom. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, this, this is, first of all, this has been a great interview, but I, I would just say to people, whether you're dealing with grief or trauma, whatever space that you find yourself in, um, I'm going to use, because I say this all the time, you know, what you said, give yourself grace, give yourself space, um, know that healing is possible. Um, that, that is something that I definitely want to communicate. Healing is possible. Healing is hard work to get there, 
but it is so, so worth it when you get to the other side. So give yourself the grace and the room to do that. Um, be intentional about doing the work, but know that it is absolutely possible and you are not even going to believe the life that you can have when you make it to the other side. So thank you so, so much for having me. This, this has been a lot of fun. I really uh, appreciate I, it. I know. And isn't it interesting? We can have fun talking about grief and trauma. Yes. Yes. I say it all the time. It's, it is so much fun. It is because we're both in our, in our, if we say in Spanish, estamos en nuestra salsa, like in our sauce, like, yes. our sauce, like salsa, like a salsa, you know, like this is our salsa, like this is our, yeah, this is our, our, our jam. This, this, this is it. This jam. is our jam. I love this it. Our jam. So it may seem like weird for others that for us, it's, but it's our jam. <laughs> so, so I'm so grateful. And again, you can find Catherine Barner's website. You can go straight to katherinebarner.org and be able to find her book, God Help Me, I'm Grieving finding healing after loss you can find it there and then social media wise people can find you on which which um... yeah so i'm mostly mostly hanging out on instagram and linkedin and so uh, both of those are at miss cat speaks you can find me there um yeah feel free to to reach out send me a dm and i'm glad to connect with any of you like i said a always DM on the website yeah, you know we're like love it thank you so much Catherine. it's been an thank honor you. having you and so much fun getting to know you as well you as well <laughs> thank you Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.